And we're back with another episode of Around the Mat. I'm your host, Conscious Keelan. I'm excited. We got some new people on the panel today. Um, we got some fun stuff to talk about. PGF, Mid-South, UFC, Francis Ngannou's a grappler now, all kinds of stuff. So introducing first, as always, we have the man, the myth, the sunglasses-wearing legend, Brandon McCatherine. Hello, my fine young friends. We also have joining us the resident expert, um, returning Victor, Matt Scaff. The reigning, defending. Oh, Lord. <laughs> we also have joining us a local superstar, Bobby, both of them, a.k.a. Lil Jefe. Oh. El Jefe? Was that El, that's El Jefe, oh, please excuse me. I'm so embarrassed. It's 10th Planet Black Belt, Stephen Egan. Man, that was going to be a really good intro until you you totally blew that on the Hefe thing. I mean, I'm not I mean we'll, talk, we'll talk about it after the show. It's not a big deal or anything. I'm not Bobby both of them. You know, I tried. We also have <laughs> no, it's all good. for the first time on Around the Mat, the wrong way. a very handsome man by the name of Kevin Cheryl. How's it going, y'all? Yeah, right. I, uh, I thought Steve was just going to log out when you called him little Hefe. <laughs> I would have. I, sh I should have. I should have. I'll, I'll give myself one of these. All okay. Right. I'll accept it. Here we go. Hey, let, let the folks know how the rules go, how the score Point taken. Yeah. So, for those of you that don't know, we're about to play a game. Um, I've got some topics here on the agenda. I'm going to ask the guys, the panel, what they think about some of these topics. If they have a good point, they will get a point. Sounds like this. And if they have a terrible point, which is inevitable, they will, and they get one of these. We'll keep tally of the score, and the person with the most points at the end of the game is the winner. So let's see. First thing, what do you all want to talk about first? Um, Mid-South or PGF? Mid-South is coming up next. Let's open up with Mid-South. Let's talk about it. So Let, let both of them get it. Yeah, we got um, – Stephen Eakins tournament coming up. Um, Stephen, I guess. Okay. Dang, Jeez, dude. I'm just a little happy. Eakin. Oh, man. Oh, do I need another fart? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think I should get points. That should just be straight points now. Like, <laughs> I, need some, I need some coins for those mistakes. Um, Start out by telling me yeah. what's going on. What is the Mid South, Stephen? Mid South Classic is EBI Rules tournament this weekend. We're doing it. Uh, 16 people this time we've been we've been doing like two eight people brackets uh, when we've done it before but this time i was like we'll just combine them put 16 in there and like just double the pot basically and so it's two thousand dollar cash prize uh it's absolute purple belts <clears throat> so like there's there's like at least one guy that's 300 pounds and then i'm not sure the smallest guy but i know that there's a couple of dudes that are at least like 170 that are in there so there's gonna be some some freak shows maybe a little parody going on i'm not sure i'm gonna do my best to randomize the bracket there are a couple like teammate situations that are in there that we have to like account for but outside of that i'm i don't think i'm gonna protect anybody so i think we got we got handsome kevin he stepped in uh someone got hurt this week so he, he came in and filled a gap so he's gonna be in there we got kevin buring uh, other PGF star Evan Stapler from PGF season two. Mm. 
he's already been in uh, uh, one of the other Mid-Souths previously. Uh, so he's, he's looking to come back and like do better than he did last time, which is, which is cool to see him excited and fired up. Uh, the official referee of the PGF South Dakota, Chris, he's in the bracket. Uh, we got a couple dudes coming down from the, I think it's St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, 10th Planet School that are jumping in. Uh, so, so it's, it's wild, man. It's going to be, it's going to be really fun. It's on this Saturday. We're, we're looking to start the first matches at one. Uh, we'll have a little pre-show stuff. Uh, you know, few people rotating around on the desk or whatever, talking a little bit as we get set up and get ready to go. Um, but yeah, we're, we're just really high. It'll be on my YouTube. We're simulcasting it here and then on your, or yeah, here and then on mine at the same time. Uh, so you could check out either one of them and, I think it's going to be really, really dope. Kevin, I'd like to hear from you. Uh, you're in the Mid-South. What's uh, what's the tournament going to look like for you? Yeah, Stephen, you said it's an absolute. I've been cutting weight. I thought it was at 170. <laughs> Sorry, player. <laughs> yeah, One of these dude's legs is going to weigh that much. <laughs> yeah, Listen, if I fight that 300-pound guy, I'm counting it as two wins. Yeah, I'll advance you to another round. I appreciate it. We're going to jump it up for you. Yeah, man. The uh, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, Kevin Beering might be the lightest guy. I don't remember all the tape study, but Kevin Beering went to the PGF and like got smaller. Um, so that'll be interesting. Uh, I'm like been been uh, trying to like training camp for this so uh earlier i just like i'm in the middle of moving i just let the mattress fall on me and i was kind of chilled there for like <laughs> 10 minutes tried to breathe um you know training camp stuff high level right levels. right very scientific mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. battle plan man let's stay ready scaff what's uh what's the roster looking like in your eyes for the mid-south what can you expect um for for sure, it's going to be unpredictable. I, I don't think anybody. If you're a betting man, I, I mean, it's just it's going to be really tough to find and pick a favorite. I, I have no idea who'd be the number one seed. I, I think just out of pedigree, you could go with a tenth planet Atlanta guy. So Kevin Sherrill maybe could be the number one seed. But if you're weighing more on experience and weight, then you might go a whole another route. You know, a whole different route with that. And so, really, it's just going to depend on. You know, I guess what Steven and whoever's creating the bracket is really predicting. And so the bracket's going to make a uh, – it's going to be interesting because when you have a huge size – like we're talking about huge disparity. I mean, Kevin Primo and Randy Roden versus, you know, Kevin Buring, big size difference. But this is going to even dwarf that. I mean, we've got some 300-pound guys in this thing that are complete mysteries. And – who knows, man? Maybe, maybe one of those guys is just going to be just too big for Kevin Buring. I don't think so. I think Kevin Buring's talented enough that he's going to be able to give any of these guys a run for their money. But I mean, there's some big, big dudes, and it's uh, it's definitely not a tournament that you want to pick a favorite for, right? And I think that's going to make it super, super exciting. How I generally do it is I kind of. When I'm rooting and I'm watching, I'm always going, obviously, students first. But then I go PGF guy. So I'm hoping one of the PGF stars takes it home, whether it's, uh, you know, handsome Kevin, the young stud Kevin Buring, 
or Evan Stapler. I would love to see, uh, you know, one of those guys. And South Dakota Chris, I think, is going to surprise some people. Um, he hasn't competed in a couple of years. Would be my only big um, – kind of the big mark against him is you just don't know. Maybe he goes out there and kind of craps the bed, which would be all right. I mean, it's his first time competing in two years. So for me, I'm looking at the guys that, you know, are staying active. I think Kevin Sherrill probably be my number one seed though. Seriously. I think Kevin Sherrill is probably my number one seed out of this bracket. I appreciate it, man. Brandon, you're going to be commentating as well as you have some students of yours competing. What can you expect from them in South this weekend? Well, I know that uh, Evan Stapler and South Dakota Chris are ready to rock and roll. They've been, both of them, training really hard. <clears throat> South Dakota Chris in the best shape probably he's ever been in since he started martial arts. He's he's down in weight, but he's up in cardio. He's up in technique. And, uh, I mean, he's been seeing more jiu-jitsu and training more jiu-jitsu than ever before. So, I even like Scaff said, a little bit of a mystery with him because we haven't seen him compete in so long. But his martial arts skill has advanced, you know, 10x over what it was even a year and a half ago. So I think he's a I think he's a wild card. Evan, Evan's got the kind of game that's, you know, it's grindy, it's aggressive, it's mean. How does that translate into other big, heavy, mean, aggressive players? We will see. But Evan, I know, is mentally he's ready. Physically, he's ready. Uh, the guy that I'm most excited to see is one of the X factors is the real Mr. Incredible. 776 pounds of piss and fury. I'm, I'm ready to see what that's all about. So, But it, I think um, if I had to put my money down on anybody, I think it's the leg lock specialist. It's Kevin Buring. Mm. Oh, I think if you forced, yeah, I know, and I know that's a hot take because he's probably the smallest guy in the bracket. So I think mm, I don't know. I don't. There's a couple guys that that okay. are gonna be about that size. Okay, so he's one of the smallest guys in the bracket for sure. Out of sixteen, he's the least experienced probably in the bracket. Um, as far as like time on the mat or years on the mat, yeah. maybe not as far as hours on the mat. Now you know we know that he trains like a savage, and he's of course. Handsome Kev there can tell you all about his teammate. So, yeah, I think that that's going to be a big factor. He's going to be a lot slicker and a lot craftier in the leg lock game, which is notoriously that's the way to take out a guy who's much bigger than you. So well, if it's well, going to happen, he's the guy to make it happen. So I think if I got to come in slinging money around on an underdog – that's that's my guy. That's my horse. So, and just I guess in addition to that, it, you can go check out the Mid South Classic uh, Instagram. It's Mid underscore South underscore Classic. We've had like flyers made for most of the guys um, that are going to be in there, so you can kind of see who they are. And if they have a, a social media account, we've kind of put it on there for you. But other guys that that are in there that that are potentially dangerous that people may not really know that much about. But Wyatt Montgomery, who had a match against James Cole on the PGF finale, he's been in uh, the Mid-South before. He's a super tough guy. Uh, he's really working hard. He came up here and visited us last week, did a little bit of training with us, uh, got some extra work in, a little, you know, coaching tips and, and, you know, training. So that was really cool. Another guy is uh, Caleb Wall. He's a Cole Miller blue belt. But this dude, he's also like 
Mr. Incredible, but he's probably like 220 or something, maybe not like 285, but he's also just like really big, strong, athletic dude uh, who comes and trains with us probably, you know, once a week or something like that, maybe. Uh, maybe not always that often, but you know, he knows, he knows what's going on in the system or whatever. We do a little bit of overtime rounds and different things like that. And then obviously being over at Cole, uh, Cole Miller's gym, you know, that, that they got really good game over there. And, and if he's going to compete, he's going to have him ready to go. So it's, it, it's really like, I don't know. This is a, I don't know how to do the bracket. That's, that's the thing. It's like, I, I historically have literally plugged it in and did a randomizer. And if there was a teammate situation that was on there, I just did the switch to make it where the teammates wouldn't be against each other and just let the cards fall how they may because there's, I don't know how to seed this thing because, like you said, maybe maybe Riley is not the number one seed based on what you think a skill set is, but his his size and his skill makes him super, super tough for anybody that's going to be on. Nobody's going to have an easy time of that match if he just decides to come up and be ready to play. You I know, think if I was uh, making the bracket, I would probably take the two biggest guys and place them at the top of each side. And I would probably make it by by size for an absolute. Yeah. So just smallest guys goes against biggest guy first? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I was going to make the bracket, what I would do is like <laughs> take me and give me like a bye to the finals. And then everybody else goes through like Mortal Kombat uh and i'll just be one in the by top. one yeah yeah they just sit there and knock each other out and then i'll be at the top whoever gets through all the other guys that sounds that's like it. a good idea that sounds like a really, well, really I mean, that's good a way idea. to do it you could do it that way I, I, i've got to be honest though when i'm looking at this you know the ebi factor is the biggest one and especially yeah. with big guys we get a lot of draws and for the most part, especially under belts, when I'm talking blues and purples, I have not ever been impressed with a big guy's EBI game. So we're going to do a type of stalling rule based on, I'm not sure if it's going to be fully implemented. I've heard it might be what, I don't know for sure if it's a rule at EBI coming up or not, but a stalling rule. And I'll be the one that's in control of that situation where I'll be giving people maybe a warning. And then in, in which case, if you get like, a second warning where I feel like I'll add ride time a minute of ride time or up to, up to a minute, I think probably 30 seconds at a time of ride time to your overtime. And so that'll hopefully give some incentive to not try to draw it out. How much of that I want to, I don't really want to flex that on anybody. So I'll, I'll have that talk before the thing and just be like, come on, like there's a difference between, I know there's a difference between like having to stay in a safe spot, and then stalling somebody out trying to get to overtime. You know, there, there's a difference between working and being safe and just like blatantly just making the match a stinker, you know. So hopefully we don't have to deal with any of that. But I agree with you, Scaff. That's that's definitely something as a heavyweight that's went through a bunch of the uh, EBI style tournaments and, and different things like that. It's 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 a thing. There, there's not many guys that are going to get out there and try to throw down for the whole 10 minutes because they can't. So they're going to try to wait. It's hard to push when you got when you're carrying that much around. You know, it's hard to push right. for a whole minutes. Definitely. So that's the thing is like so you see people either draw it out really long because they can't get control of each other or are afraid to get under each other in some kind of way, or you know, like one guy just like gets on top of the other guy and just kind of holds it down and doesn't really do anything uh, for for a really super extended period of time. Man, I really like how that still leaves 
like we go into the, they get a couple stalls or whatever. It's a minute or I get a couple stalls or whatever. We go into it and it's still in their hands, right? Like, it's like, cool, man, you've got an extra minute of ride time on you. Like you're in a hole, but we still got three rounds. Sub that guy and all this goes away. It's always still in their hands. I mean, it's still, yeah, it still gives the opportunity to stay in the, in the honor of the, you know, the system, I guess you would say the rule system. Um, but hopefully it'll take away that incentive to really like spend four minutes doing nothing uh, on purpose. For sure. uh, finishers, they, uh, they created a new rule for their one. They call it the wallop rule. So if the you molly-wop. get walloped, the molly wop, there we go. And it was yeah. the molly wop rules. So yeah. If you get dominated, you get beat real bad. There's just no EBIT and you lose. I oh, like that. I, I like that. I hear that. I yeah, like the Molly Whopper, yeah. They also added another one for finishers this last time, which was like in spirit of the original Meta Morris rules, which were if the match ends in an upper body submission, like like the time runs out and there's an upper body submission that's latched on, the time runs until there's an escape or a finish. I like that a lot. Yeah, I thought that was cool. So finishers innovating the EBI rule set. I thought those were two hmm. great I love the Molly Wop rule because, man, Stairs we, all know, we all know when somebody got clowned during the regulation and when they were just trying to hold out and survive and win an OT. We all know what that looks like, and we need to like, get that out of that rule set. Yeah, I mean, that's the primary criticism of the EBI rule set, and that right there. It's fair criticism. Just, yeah. You well, I like, from I like the 10 minutes rule set. Um, I think it's a carryover, at least in my mind, a lot. At least, and something I wanted to do when I was fighting MMA back in the day was like the ten minute first round or whatever to kind of let the fight get established. Because once you got two like high level people, it it does take a, a level of feeling each other out and trying to make sure you're not going to make the big mistake because you don't get but one mistake a lot of times at those highest levels. So so it does you know it does take some time to cook them down or, or like find the right opening sometimes. But within that, there's got to be an aggressive, like stalling thing to where you're, you're making people force the action, much like in pride, there was the yellow cards and where they would just take your money away. So, th- you know, that that's where the way I've always seen the 10 minute EBI round. Cause uh, I was still fighting when I started doing a lot of training. So I was like, all right, well, this is just like the pride first round or whatever. You got to just kind of go and dominate the whole thing and, and you'll be able to win, you know? So, I don't know. Weird tangent. Yeah. So let's uh let's keep the momentum rolling into another one of the most exciting grappling rule sets out there with the PGF. So we got handsome Kevin here. He made it to the playoffs, uh, to the finals, got second, and and when it was all said and done, and then we've got all three of you other guys were all part of the PGF staff. So. Two questions here, two-part question. How was season three in y'all's minds? How did it go? And what are y'all looking to forward to most in season four, 155? Brandon? What was the first question again? What did you think about season three of the PTF? Um, I thought it was the most fun that I've ever had in jiu-jitsu. It was the most, it was the most fun and like the happiest jujitsu experience that i've ever had other than maybe like receiving my black belt you know like i i I was pretty happy then but i mean the spirit 
and the atmosphere around the PGF this year was, was, I've really never been around anything that was like it. And, you know, all of these guys were a huge part of that. Steven, Scaff, both treating their jobs like actual professionals, which is, let's be honest, that's not that common in the jujitsu uh, in the jujitsu world. And then Kevin even treating even treating his his role obviously as a grappler like a professional, but you know, being a professional fighter, there's two parts to being a professional fighter. There's you have to be a professional, you have to be a true martial artist that's really going out there and trying to do your best work as a samurai. But there's also you got to make money in the business, otherwise you're not a professional. And so seeing Kevin come out there and really embrace the the handsome Kevin character and then other guys like Randy Roden, it, it was just an amazing experience overall. For season four, that momentum of season three, I still feel like I'm on a mountaintop. I'm still rolling with that momentum. And so we're rolling right into season four coming up. For those of you that haven't heard yet, October 23rd through the 29th is going to be PGF season four. It's going to be 155 pounders and the first qualifier is march 12th in decatur alabama i think we're going to do nine total qualifiers this year that's awesome awesome uh nine. steven steven you were a part of season two and then a different part in season three how was uh how did season three go in your mind and talk a little bit about like the difference between being a competitor and then being behind the scenes with us Man, it was it was really cool. It was a lot different to be behind the scenes, I guess, and being in, in like production meetings or whatever and kind of seeing what it took to make sure everything was going. <clears throat> and not that it was like private last season or whatever, but last season I was really just worried about myself. I, I wasn't really worried about anybody else's situation or how they were feeling really, you know, not in a real way. Uh, I was mostly worried about what I needed and what I needed to do to get through the season and try to try to, you know, get my points and not look like a fool when I'm out here competing and all those kind of things. Uh, so, so it was to, like a, a completely wild, wildly different experience because the competition side of it is incredibly tough and nobody really knows what that is yet. Like nobody really kind of understands that except for the few people who, I guess season two and three guys who kind of done it where you, you, you've stayed for that, that block. And it's like, it's a guaranteed almost full tournament every day for, for four days or five days or, you know, four days in a row, uh, three matches. And it can be three of your worst matches and you have to do it or you, you still basically have to lose. Uh, there's no, it's like, Oh, you had a bad match. You lost You're out for the day or the, the week or for the next month or whatever. And you get to come back and like get time to like refocus or whatever it takes to like bounce back. There is no, there is no time to rebound in a real way. You have to just be ready every day. And it's hard to get up like that every day and stay up when you need to, but also like calm down when it's time to come down and get the rest that you need at night and not be staying up too late and doing things that you shouldn't do uh, as an athlete when you have to compete the next day again uh, to make it like be super sharp and to be your best uh, version of yourself, you know? Uh, which is kind of hard in that situation. So it's it's something new for a lot of people. Uh, for everybody, it's something new, really, honestly. And so so if, if you haven't done it, then to compete in it, to compete in it, 
it feels like it's kind of like a special like fraternity in some kind of way now to have been like a, a, a veteran of one of the seasons. You know, it's kind of cool, you know, to have that thing. You can kind of talk to each other. It's like, yeah, man. Like I was one of those dudes and it's like, yeah, man, I was in season two. It's like, yeah, it was cool, man. Season one, you know, whatever kind of deal. Uh, so, so it's kind of like built that that little kind of community in some ways with some dudes that I talked to. Um, and so that part of it's really, really cool. But it's also the worst kind of part of jujitsu in a lot of ways because it makes you an absolute head case uh, if you care about it, that is. Um, and I did. So I was really like trying my best to win, but also like handle it the best I could every day emotionally and not like freak out when I wanted to. Uh, so I think I did a good job of that, but then this season, season three, uh, I really liked the changes to, to the way there was the four teams with the different coaches. I thought that was really awesome. It added an element to it that we needed, uh, during our season. I thought where there was somebody at least as a figure head to say they were the leader of the teams so they could like make a decision if there needed to be a decision made. Uh, I guess because as one of the competitors last season, one of the toughest things was like there was no like clear leadership on our teams or whatever. It was just still like, you know, it's like, yeah, you're you're like red or blue, but it's still just like every man for themselves in some kind of way. Uh, so to see the, the, the teams, the camaraderie, uh, the guys that were working out game plans together before each each thing. So So being able to sit back and watch how all that was done with the competitors and stuff was really good for me as a coach to see and like to, to take back home. Uh, so I enjoyed not having the stress of having to compete every day. Um, being a part of the, the like real staff, I guess you would say and like a uh, team in that way, it was like, it was pretty weird. I, I, don't, I don't really have a ton of experience in, in any of that kind of stuff except for what I've really kind of done, you know, over the last couple of years. So I don't really like, I'm still working it all out. So everything I'm doing, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it should look like, what it should feel like, what the, you know, the way you talk, you know, what information do I really need to study when I'm coming out to do what specific job, you know? So, so I got to, I had to study a lot of jujitsu stuff to get information about all these guys and what they were going to be good at, because I knew I was going to have to like, match up with like scaff and, and egghead and stuff like that in a in like a, a head-to-head knowledge battle kind of day-to-day to be able to keep up and not like look like i was lost if i was in something like that with those guys and stuff because you know they, they're, they're going to be out there killing it and they're going to know their stuff and if i didn't i was just have to sit there and like hush the whole time and not really have anything to say and that would you know that was like so I, so i went and made sure i studied and had you know information about each guy stuff to say or whatever which I think was why it was easy to, to turn into that other kind of role of playing the announcer instead of the live commentary. Um, Cause it was different. It was more, I think it was more of the energy that I like to kind of have anyway, you know, it was like sustain like up, but then there was like, you know, it's like, come on, let's, let's ramp up, you know, really quick and like get everybody fired up and like, let's get going, you know, kind of stuff. And then you kind of just, you know, just chill out again or whatever. Whereas if you were on the commentary, you know, I felt like it would have taken like a ton more focus overall on just watching matches. So I got to still be on the, on the backside of it with the mic now 
and watch everybody and how they're interacting with each other. And I got to have conversations with the guys between matches about how they're feeling or whatever. So that, that gave me more information about what to do between the next match or, or like, you know, different things like that. So it, dude, it, 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 it's hard to quantify how, how like awesome it was to be able to do all that stuff and like have it go as good as it did. Uh, so knowing all the things that I know about that, just looking forward to season four uh, with 155s, which is what we were trying to talk about the whole week. We kind of set that little Trojan horse in there a couple of days, you know, into the week because we knew there were going to be some guys that that would make that pretty easily, maybe if they wanted to come back to the seasons. And then that would give us, you know, give us good guys coming back right away. Uh, so, so knowing that, and then like, we all have more experience doing what we're going to do. Uh, it's, it's going to be 10 times better than it was this time. Like at least, I, like you, that's a, you, you can't put like a number on the changes that are going to be made. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm really excited to see who's going to come back and who's going to be a part of it. Like, again, guys like Kevin, who are, who, who picked up on what, what needed to happen. Uh, as far as like pushing their characters over or their personality over or to get their name out there a little bit more uh, in Randy, you know, different things like that. So all those things made it really, really fun and made it special in a way that I didn't expect. And so I'm looking forward to come back uh, with all that information for next season and really like double down on all that stuff to make it like even better. Scaff, how did it go from your perspective and the commentary table you probably talked oh, 36 hours straight that week <laughs> yeah no it was uh you know it's funny i felt like i was right there with the competitors just because of the focus it takes to to do the live commentary um you know you got to be dialed in and you know we had hundreds of people watching and you know you, you kind of have a responsibility to to the fans to make sure that you're prepared and make sure that you're you know dialed in and if you're not dialed in then I mean, we've everybody's watched jujitsu streams that had bad commentary or guys that were drinking, or I mean, half the shows have guys that are just drinking that don't even know who the competitors are, and it, it really ruins the show. So, you know, taking it seriously, it's definitely a gauntlet for the team. You know, I think anybody that was involved in the production, whether it was you, I mean, I kept telling everybody, I was like, you know, everybody's like, Brandon, you know, Brandon is, you know, he's the guy that everybody knows, but I mean, Conscious Keelan, Keelan Lawyer is, uh, you know, he, he's right up. To, he's the partner. I mean, it, it, without you, I mean, to me, Keelan, you're the backbone. So um, I, everybody worked their asses off. It was a phenomenal show. Um, it was definitely the best season of the PGF. There's definitely some things that need to change, though, right? And I think that's what's exciting is that each season the PGF evolves and season four's evolution is really what I'm excited about. What's it going to look like? I think it's it's going to just continue to get better and better. We know the competitors are going to bring it. I'm super excited. I mean, I think the name I'm most excited to see is probably Matthew Boyles. Like, I want to see Matthew Boyles at 155. <laughs> you know, I want to see – I loved his personality. I loved um, everything about the kid. I loved his spirit. Those guys that were in the reserve that, you know, just kept good spirits throughout the week. I mean, that's really, really difficult. And it just shows the character of those guys. And, you know, the battle Rama was definitely, I mean, my favorite part of the season. And I would love to see yeah. that continue as like a PGF, like, you know, in history, the battle Rama champion is 
just as important as who the season champion was. Because, yeah, there are going to be four guys. I loved it. Four guys not getting picked, but then they had something major to play for, and they ended up being the main event of the week. I mean, everybody was super excited for them, and it just shows the power of the jiu-jitsu community. And I think um, I think we're just going to see it continue to get better and better. So, yeah, season five, uh, four, excuse me, at 155, I mean, Matthew Boyles. I'd love – I mean, Noah Randolph's like right around 164. Um, I'm not sure about Kevin Beering. I think Kevin – Kevin Beering, he can make 155? If he pushes, he can make it. Yeah, so we'll see. You know, I don't want any of these guys to do terrible cuts or anything like that. But, man, if he can make it, he'd be a killer. And I, I – uh, it's all about the blue and purple belts for me. I love obviously watching the black belts go out there and kill it, but it'll be fun to see, uh, to see what some of these guys can do at their, especially like a guy like Matthew Boyles at his weight. Handsome Kevin, how was, uh, season three, your first season completing the PGF, how'd it go? So like every aspect of the PGF, I said this a few times all week. I tracked these guys down the work they put in showed, it was incredible. Every aspect of the PGF, like, was – I thought I was going to have fun, and it was all way more fun than I thought I'd have. Uh, like, there were aspects of it, like the combine and the draft, that I thought would be, like, mildly tedious. I'm like, ah, oh, man, this might be a long day kind of thing. This might be, you know, a little bit gym class. It was so fun, man. We All the athletes, like, hung out in the bullpen when we weren't uh, doing our events or getting drafted. And like we all cut up and talked, it was a blast. So as a as a tournament format, the Shark Week style like gauntlet you run is really really tough. Uh, we have a team toehold group chat, and I woke up the day after the finale and kind of like hit up everybody and was like, "Yeah, so did anybody else wake up this morning and like your brain was trying to plan for the matches you have and what's the game plan, what's the strat to beat these guys and like where do the points stand, who's everybody else competing against? Um, I mean, every, every night throughout the week, me, uh, Sean, Kevin Bearing, the, the whole toehold guys, like you got pictures of us like sitting there looking at the points, looking at the brackets, like having four teams is so much to keep track of. It's such an interesting aspect. So as a, as a tournament format, it's demanding in some really interesting ways. As a show, it is so fun. Um, I really enjoyed a lot of the like narratives that went through there. Uh, like Scap was pointing out, some of the favorite narratives aren't the guys that like were going to dominate the season necessarily. They were like the Batarama. Um, a lot of these guys, a lot of questions of like, how is this guy going to manage against this guy? Um, some of the not necessarily favorites to win the season put on some really, really interesting performances. And, uh, you know, we all like ended up rooting for them. Even people in the bullpen, like all the athletes are cheering for all of the people. It was really cool. Um, yeah, yeah. There was a, uh, as far as like cutting promos though, I am alarmed at how easy it was for me to slip into that character, not to break kayfabe. But the Hanks and Kevin character, uh, I like had a few people message me and were like, "Yeah, I, I just, I can't with this handsome Kevin stuff. Like, you gotta, you gotta cut it out. Like, I can't. You're gonna be. There's no living with me when I get home. So uh, it's, it's a bunch of unique challenges. I only had to do it one time, but after taking the loss to Evers, like 
20 seconds later, 30 seconds later, having to pick myself up, put the character on and like said something like the handsome doesn't stop here or something like that. Like that's where, where are you going to like be tested like that? You know, we see all these people take losses and then they flip a chair and they go storm off and like understandable, but like, you know, picking yourself up and like having to like put that face on for a second or you have a tough match you didn't expect. Like uh, I had a tough match with Longar that I like kind of uh, and let get out of hand and end up getting the sub with like 20 seconds left. And instead of like losing my mind, I have to go cut another promo <laughs> and make some jokes. Uh, so it's a unique challenge. I don't know where you would ever experience that. If, if you have an opportunity to compete in the PGF, you should. Uh, you're never gonna have like all these weird mixed skill sets you suddenly have to discover you have and put into play back to back to back to back to back to back. Um, it's a cool, unique challenge and experience. I'm so excited for the 155. Uh, like, I'm, I like, if y'all jumped right into 185, I would have been there immediately, of course, right? But having this one season, I'm gonna sit back, PGF gets so much better every season. Being able to sit back and just watch what you guys do with this next season is going to be really cool. I'm sending a few of the guys that like, uh, like at Temple and Atlanta, sending a few of the guys they train with. I'm sending a few of the guys that I train at like a uh, local school. Uh, I run their Nogi program and I like push those guys. I'm like, where are you going to get 15 matches in a week? Like go do this thing. You're going to get paid for it. Like, come on. Uh, it's a unique opportunity, man. It's, it's y'all have captured something really special. Awesome. Hey, what's well, up, is there are you saying there's no way you're going to 155? <laughs> there's no way that dude gets to 155. <laughs> I fought MMA at 155, and I'll I'll post the picture of my store, the weight cut picture. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way. We gotta have you back to come come cut like a promo for sure, at least during the season. You gotta be there with somebody. Like Absolutely. you gotta at least be there. Yeah. Hit me up. Short drive. I got you. I got you, dog. I'm just as interested in who the coaches are going to be because the coaches were a really fun part. And it was so weird seeing the different dynamics. All right. You had Sean, who's just the ultimate professional. And it really gave Team Toehold a huge advantage. I mean, obviously, he's got a relationship with all the guys, even Manning Leverett um, and Mario. Like, you know, he's got a relationship with those guys. And so it's easy for them to game plan. But, I mean, because jiu-jitsu, he had no idea what he was doing. He was just picking random dude. He didn't even know their names. He's like, I'll take uh, the meat sickle dude. Uh, I'll take the the 300 Spartan looking guy. Like, And he actually ended up picking the winner. So I guess at the end of the day, like, he, he I mean, his team won, right? I mean, I, yeah. So yeah. I, I can't wait to see who the coaches are. Um, man, I, I, I really – I would love to see always having a PGF season vet, you know? Like, hey, maybe we do get a handsome Kevin Sherrill. Maybe we do get um, somebody like uh, like Randy Roden or who knows, you know? I, I like the PGF vet. I like having a couple people that aren't involved with it just so we get different, you know? I mean, when you got Eli Knight, right? Like, you're getting some different eyes on the, the, the broadcast. And, um, yeah, I, I, I loved it. Yeah. I like the variety on the, on the one hand instinct tells you, you can never let Sean coach another team, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you got to on the other hand. Yeah. I would say think about the amount of like value 
that like thinking about the amount of value that like team toehold got out of that, that whole week, every day we got like, y'all, so we got there two hours early and Sean went through game plans one by one by one by one with everybody. And we worked specific skills. Like we got 10 hours of basically small group training with Sean throughout the week. Like what an asset. And then you've got like Eli Knight and Drew Weatherhead bringing in eyes. Like, come on. It's such an opportunity, man. So do you want to run it back? Would you would you be on Sean's team again? Would you want to be on somebody else's team next time? Oh, absolutely not. I want to be on Sean's team. Screw that. <laughs> Total dominated. I want to be on Sean's team. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Listen, hey. We have to change the the way the team point is going to be handled next time because he dominated it so bad. So, like, the way we're going to do it for season four is that the team points are going to – they're not going to count towards the player. So they're just going to accumulate towards the coach. Hey, listen, I got to do what I got to do. You know? Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Brandon, big question. Do you have any idea? Because like to me, who season four coaches, like do you have anybody in mind? Like, are you going to invite Sean back? Um, I would like you- to, yeah, I would like to, I want to have like recurring um, characters as much as I can from season okay. to season, as much as it makes sense. So yeah, I want Sean to do it again. And Sean wants so you to- like the Elkins brothers, like, Oh, like let's see yeah. if they're down again. Okay. You have to have the Elkins brothers. They're so funny. Oh Especially if we're not going to have one of them in the season, which at 155, they don't make an Elkins that small. Yeah. <laughs> you got to split them up next time. <laughs> oh, oh no. them against each other. Yeah. This time was too friendly. They were too cool. <laughs> you could just They're have rude. the, you could have the Elkins dad, and then the three brothers as all the coaches. <laughs> just an Elkins coach, pretty fun coach season. <laughs> Marcus is Marcus is a coach. I don't know how that's going to work out. <laughs> just uh, start wiggling around and squeezing. Listen, <laughs> create some scrambles, bro. Create some scrambles. Let's get this going to work. Up. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move topics. Um, let's go to the UFC. We had a big card this last weekend. The heavyweight champion of the world versus the interim heavyweight champion of the world. Um, what y'all think? Is Francis a grappler now? What happened? The way he caught that kick and initiated that first takedown, he looked like a grappler, didn't he? That was insane. Man, that, that was some serious elevation and power on that takedown. I know the setup wasn't beautiful because Francis really gave him the setup by throwing the kick, but uh, yeah, Fran- um, sorry, Cyril gone gave him the setup by throwing the kick, but man, the takedown itself looked amazing. And then for him to go back into the well when it when it re- wasn't really going his way, I thought that was uh, I thought it was just a really nice sign that he's trying to grow as a martial artist and trying to become a better fighter. Yeah, I uh, when he first caught that kick, I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." I mean, Francis is a—he's an athlete. He's strong. He's been in MMA a long time. Like, good for him to turn that into a takedown. And uh, you know, I was like, "That's cool." And then, then he hit that hurrah, and I went, "Oh, wow!" Francis has got—he got a little something. That's that's clean. Like he hit that man. That's really—he's got something. And then Cyril gone blocks. The next attempt at a hurrah, uh, Ngana brings his hip in front, Gon blocks it off, 
and Francis chains it into a back trip and takes him backwards. And I went, oh my Lord, get this man a judo belt. Like this guy, I was like, he, he can wrestle. He can wrestle incredibly. What are you going to do with him now? What are you going to do with Francis now? Stipe is somewhere like, nah, hard pass on that. Like we're out. I uh, absolutely love the performance. I going in, you know, you were hoping to see somebody just get flatlined. You know, we were hoping to see a devastating knockout, but I had more fun watching him grapple. Now, if, you know, he was just a pure grappler, the ma- it wouldn't have been as exciting, right? But it was the fact that he went from that being his weakness to, oh man, like, tra- like he's like, Ngannou's in the gym working and actually like taking grappling classes. I mean, there's a lot of heavyweights that just barely do any grappling and it's very obvious when they get on the ground and he looked good. I mean, like you said, you know, those takedowns, I mean, if you would have hit me with that Harai Goshi and, and I, the way that Sirigan like fell, like my shoulder would have just fallen off. I mean, it looked brutal. Just Francis falling on top of you, but he looked great as a grappler. Now, did he look like a black belt, you know, Khabib? No, no, no. He didn't look like an expert grappler, but he looked like a dude that's a true martial artist. And I, I mean, I was just can't say enough about how I'm, Impressed I am, and I want to see what's next. You know, there, there's rumblings. I mean, Dana White's already said that he's hoping it's John Jones versus Ngannou next, and it definitely makes that um, that matchup super intriguing. Dude, I have to agree totally about what you guys are saying about how it, it really shows that he's trying to really improve as a martial artist and as, and as an athlete and a fighter continuously, and not just staying as like the same kind of fighter the entire time. Uh, it's very very true for a lot of fighters that once they become known for knocking people out with one punch, that that's, that's how they finish their career. You know, they live and die by that kind of sword. Um, even grapplers start turning into punchers when they think they have enough power in their hands and stuff like that. So I'm really impressed to see Ngano use the real type of strategy that someone should at a high level. He put together a few series that look like they work in certain situations where he has, you know, like I said, a couple chains of this, a couple chains of that catch the high kick he's elevated like it's an easy dump right there that is when you're super strong like that it, it's it's the right play to make you know and so grappling against another guy who may be a better technical striker than you that is that's the way to do it in mma if you have that skill set you should all i don't know this in my personal opinion as as an mma situation you want to always at least be better than your opponent, you know, in, in several aspects, but you have to at least be good enough at whatever they're good at to like beat them. But if you're both strikers, you have to be able to like take them down, right? But if you're a great striker yourself, everybody's going to take you down. They're going to try to take you down. So you have to learn wrestling anyway. So you have to kind of develop that skill set or you're going to end up just getting flattened by the good grapplers anyway. So to see that he's working on that stuff. It's going to make it harder on the guys who are the real grapplers now, too, uh, when he comes back in. Like you said, the pure grapplers are not going to be able to just get it shoot and reshoot on him very easily because he's going to have a couple counters uh, to the basic fronts that he sees at the heavyweight level. And uh, I think it makes him 10 times more exciting now to know what could happen because now guys are going to have to really worry about those level changes and not just look at him to like for those like super punches that people across the room. But that, too, you know, so very, very impressed by what he chose to do. And uh, that means, you know, the, the future is very scary for everybody else in the heavyweight division right now. Can we be can we be honest for a second, though? Even though I picked Francis and I was rooting for Francis 
can we be honest in saying that Cyril Gaon made one of the most blund, like one of the biggest blunders in the history of championship fighting in the fifth round? Like it's two to two going into the fifth. Cyril Gaon, who's been on the bottom of all the grappling exchanges, ends up on top. And his decision was, man, I'm just going to run it back here and fall on my back for this heel hook that I tried three times. Like, have you lost your – like, he's going to go back and look at that. That's going to haunt him for the rest of his life, not just the rest of his career, for the rest of his life. He he was going to win that round if he could have stayed on top of Francis, and he probably could have. It didn't <clears> – <throat> he wasn't showing any signs that he was coming up off of that, in my opinion. People are trying to say he swept him right there. Dude, Cyril fell back for a leg lock. That's real talk. That was a huge blunder, huge. Yeah. I'm Get really on top, stay on top. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I was sitting there thinking that the whole time. I was like, man, I mean, we can talk a lot about what Francis did right, but uh, Cyril Gaon might have fumbled the bag harder than anybody in the history of the heavyweight division. Uh, I like desperate. Uh huh. I teach a lot of like entering leg locks from top in my classes, and we actually just finished up, just finished up doing that. Uh, and then the heavyweight title fight happened, and I was like, I came in on Monday and was like, all right, guys, well, like. I didn't think I'd have to say this, but if you're ever like, I don't know, fighting for the heavyweight championship of the world and you're in the determining round with a guy who's a knockout artist, like maybe, and you get on top of him, maybe don't fall back for a leg in that scenario. Maybe just ride out a couple of minutes and call it a dub. Like I, I didn't have, I didn't think I had to say that, but somebody needed to say that to Cyril. Holy crap. Well, in that situation, by sitting back in the, it, he takes he takes his weight off the upper body of Nganu and puts the stress back on himself now mm-hmm. to have to do something really intense to to keep control of the fight. Whereas if he can stay on top, you keep control of Nganu, like you said, for just not even two minutes, but just like a minute of good control in a last round of a fight, you're going to create that anxiety in a guy that's going to start opening up bad, like he's going to start making bad reactions. Or he's like you say, he's just going to lay there and let you start like picking him apart a little bit as the clock runs down. So staying under control, as I said, that's what I was most impressed with is like staying under control when possible, not giving up the easy stuff and like doing that, falling back on a leg lock like that, especially at heavyweight. And this is, it's just, a terrible idea like the yeah so it's just props to Nganu for being situationally aware enough not to do something ball-headed like that well he might have honestly thought that he was losing the fight he needed to finish because I, I mean one of the judges I know gave the first round so they gave four rounds to Francis and so maybe in his mind he's thinking that first round was super close I can't remember what the others did but I know at least the last judge gave the first round to Francis. So maybe in his mind, he's like, I'm down three to one and I need to finish. And, you know, I, I he's been out grappling me. Syria has a, he has a heel hook finish, right? But Francis did a great job. I mean, to me, right, it happened at the same time. He goes for the leg lock, but it was just cool to see Francis even try a scissor sweep. Like, his, like, yeah, the leg lock is, is what allowed uh, the off balancing for that scissor sweep, but gets on top. He clears the foot. I mean, he, he just, he put in the grappling work and he, he was reaping the rewards because he is the heavyweight champion and probably the scariest guy that's ever walked the face of the earth. Speaking of champions, let's, um, let's move into jujitsu. Ty Rotolo, two division champ. What do y'all think? All is right in the world. When the Rotolo brothers are the champions, all is right in the world. 
that's the way it should be. They're the most exciting guys to watch, or at least some of the most exciting guys are right there at the top. Most exciting to watch. They have action-packed style. And I think they're just phenomenal. So anytime that we can keep the boring grapplers off of the championship podium, I think that uh, the jiu-jitsu world's headed in the right direction. Mm, that's a point. Anybody else on Ty Rotolo? Yeah. Oh, I woke up and got a point. Yeah. Sympathy. I'm going to go for it. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, so I'll be real. Uh, did you guys watch the, the Mika match? Yeah. On the previous yeah. yeah. When Ty came up, I really like both these grapplers. Um, but the way that WNO card was heading, talking about boring grapplers at the top, I turned around and walked out the room. I was like, oh, and I was like, oh, Ty's coming up. It's probably going to look like that Mika match. I mean, Levi's got a dangerous guard. So he's probably just going to, you know, obviously Levi's going to pull. It's WNO. Ty's going to stay on top, threaten some passes and walk out. So I like turned around, went home to shower and was going to catch the card. And just, I missed what could have been the match of the night. Like, Yeah, you missed the only exciting match on the whole thing other than Jake McCouch. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was surprising i obviously i went back and watched it um but yeah people i was like what so ty when ty engages this is what it looks like and he'll still not engage i mean i get it but he like i, I get winning matches but contrasting his match with uh with micah which i was so excited for that matchup and then the way it went i wonder if he adjusted or if he felt something different. I don't know, but he put on a clinic and looked great out there. Well, so I think we've seen we've seen one boring match ever from either Rotolo brother, right? And that like I can't think of another one between the two of them. The the he had one really boring one with Wagner Rocha. So everybody against Wagner is boring. Yeah, it was just Wagner, yeah. look, yeah, Wagner is boring. Good. Look, you can I, I like Wagner's CJJ. Different animal, right? I like Wagner's style of grappling, like to adopt for my own winning style, but I don't, I don't want to watch him, you know? So everybody against Wagner, it looks like a boring match. Ty versus Mika Gava. I still don't know how that was boring. That, that, that like defies all the, the jujitsu laws of the universe. It's crazy. All right. What about yeah, I think I think Ty put himself definitely way up at the top of everybody's charts, and him and Kate are going to be like the the champions of those two or three divisions, probably at most things. If they if they want to go and take them over the next few years, unless somebody just shocks us and comes out on the scene, just the way they look, uh, like you said, the way that he looked, uh, just being so relentless this time, passing uh, Levi's guard, just just in, 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 like, and then just dove on that leg really hard and sold out on it, like, right away, you know, without having shown much of that attempt, you know, in in this in this match, you know, it's just super impressive. And he even talked about going all the way up to light heavyweight, maybe, if he could work his, uh, get a little bit more muscle on, he said he may want to jump up in there and take over the light heavyweight thing. Uh, and, man, he may be able to go in there and, and give those guys a tough time if, if he can get a, a little bit more size for sure. So, I agree. You know, definitely. Break, like, he, they're the best. They're, they're the most, the most fun to watch in a lot of ways. Uh, they're still young enough that they don't really care. 
about the consequences of, of much of what happens and that's part of it, you know so so seeing these kids that are really young now that are that have been still been training for 14 years or 15 years or whatever now uh just having that youth in that like you know risk it kind of attitude is, is what's making it really really fun to watch a lot of the nogi stuff these days yeah uh it's pretty cool man because Cade he was grappler of the year for 2021 so flo gave him the award he uh the best male grappler and then his brother just took over the pound for pound ranking so his ties the number one pound for pound grappler in the world um based on flow's flow's ranking so it's all we're like living in the rutolo era right now i mean these guys are, are legitimately the two biggest stars and i just think that mika match i just really think mika's that good i just think mika's a whole nother level i thought i thought ty was going to run through and submit levi um and he definitely put levi on levi on his back foot until he got that submission um, I actually thought he was going to beat him even worse. But Levi, you know, super dangerous. He's really, really good. I just think the Rotolas are that good. And I think Mika's that level. Um, I think Mika – I would love to see a Mika-Cade match because Cade's definitely more reckless than Ty, and I think that match is the one that uh, we as fans deserve. Um, we got a question here in the comments. Uh, let's see. Do you all think Pedigo is going to take over? I'll go first on this. So I think it's going to be hard for them to take over the long term because it's going to be hard for them to keep a guy at the top for years and years because of the style that they train because of their training methodologies. You know what I mean? Like they go hard and they break each other and they break themselves in practice. And I just think that that's hard to sustain long term. Now, are they producing? Dude, they're definitely producing. So I'm not, I'm not making a statement about whether or not their quality uh like how's their quality control it's strong you know it's it's strong quality control but at the same time man how do you how do you keep that consistent and keep that going over the course of say five years to for a guy to stay on top of that um that concerns me so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out for the next couple of years well i don't count their top guys like mikey musumechi does not count for pedigo right like, yeah, he's part of their team now. But, I mean, he, honestly, he'll probably be gone in a year. I mean, he just switches teams all the time. Dante Leon, same thing. You know, I look at the, the more the homegrown guys, right? Tenth Planet, everybody's homegrown. Um, you know, you look at AOJ, Art of Jiu-Jitsu. You know, most of those guys have been with them for a long time. They, they did all their color belts. So, if we're just talking about colored belt athletes for Pedigo, I think, you know, they're always going to be tough. They're always going to have tons of, you know, medalists and stuff. But I'm with Brandon. I think their style is uh, – it's really, really tough. And I, I don't think most athletes are going to be able to put together five really strong years at the top because of health issues. So, we'll yeah, see. I mean, just look at Andrew. Just look at Andrew Wiltsy. Like, man – just for a second, we're saying that he's one of the best dudes at his weight in the in the world, or he's right on right on the cusp of being there, but he can't stay healthy, you know. So it's it's tough to watch, but that's listen, that's a thing. You can you can approach your career a couple of different ways. You can be like, no, oh, I'm here for the long term, or I'm here to burn my candle all the way to the bottom and just the meow approach. It. Say the meow approach. Yeah, the meow brothers are actually a, the the primary example I think of when I think about that, like, man, we're going to come in, we're going to go as hard as we can all day, every day for 10 years. And then 
once we hit black belt, we're going to have a few years up there. And now they're still young, but they're, they're, I don't want to say they're finished, but like they're still amazing black belts and they're going to be amazing black belts in martial arts probably their whole life. But is their competitive career peaking? No, it's on the down, it's on the downward slide. Um, last thing on the topic, <clears throat> the topic list was B team at who's number one. You want to talk about that for a sec? Man, the whole freaking card was incredibly boring. And both of the matches that those guys were in were incredibly boring. And it was almost like Kevin said, like it, it was it was so hard to just watch in general and sit there and try to give enough attention to 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 like really, you know, think about what's happening because it was a bunch of wrestling. And it's kind of like we had mentioned earlier about kind of the threat and some of the, the big guy kind of stuff going down in the EBI rules tournament. Uh, everybody is getting ready for ADCC or whatever. And it's like, oh, so we're just going to get ready to stall on the feet and get a couple points for a few minutes in ADCC. Uh, and they claim that we're the best grappler in the world or whatever after giving up a bunch of stinky matches, uh, walking around just stripping grips for 15 minutes and stuff. You know, so they're great, man. They probably would both kick my ass, but it was really, really hard to watch those matches uh, this weekend. I'm glad you said it. I was worried I was going to be the one ruffling feathers about this. I was like, man, I can't be the wrestler guy that comes in and like talks about how the wrestling wasn't good. But um, I like, I would, I would do the same thing maybe, but it's hard to watch. Yeah, dude. I like, uh, I really was disappointed in that. Um, like two, twofold. So it's not the fault of the athletes, right? Like, sure, maybe. I, I hold the rule set accountable more than the athletes. That what we saw was a matchup where uh, Craig was a little weird. But at least we'll say with Nicky Rod, uh, he needed to be on top. So did Elder Cruz. They both wanted to win the wrestling. So they're coming into that match saying the quickest like way for me to lose this is to lose the wrestling to end up in guard like what Nikki Rod's gonna pull guard like come on so they're in a position where they have to wrestle each other um and they have minutes to do it uh yeah but why well they have to be on top they have to be on top so they have 15 minutes to do it and I kind of think that's the problem um I don't blame the athletes for it the weirdest thing ever is I would like to see a get down rule in WNO I really would uh I feel like if you give somebody 15 minutes, if, you, if we run into a match, we say, cool, whoever gets on top wins this match, and you have 15 minutes to do it, what you're going to see is a lot of guys stripping grips, like you said, and hanging on collar ties and just hoping the other guy pulls, or maybe they wear him down and his conditioning's not there and the double leg is easy. You're not going to see a lot of real technical, uh, strategic, planned out like uh, takedown strategies. Now, if you tell that person, hey, man, you have a minute to get this guy to the ground or I'm going to flip this coin and there's a 50% chance you just get smashed. Uh, and now you're stuck underneath Nikki rod or whatever. Like it changes the way you approach the match. Even well, wrestling like, is done in two minute burst, not 15 minute burst. Yeah. Yep. Like you, you can't wrestle for 15 minutes. Uh, and I hear what you're saying, Kevin, and I appreciate that you're trying to take the, the burden off the shoulders of the athletes, but ultimately it's, it's on the athletes. Look, Ty Rotolo was under the same rule set, and his match was phenomenal. 
Jacob Couch was on the same rule set, and his matchup was phenomenal. You know, the, it, it's down to the athlete. What I think really the story of it, of the whole thing, though, is like the larger B-team story. Like what it looked like is that they didn't have a mastermind. They didn't have a coach leading the leading the game planning. And I think that's the real story. Like, yes, they got the best athlete. They got the great athletes over there. I, I, they got a lot of them. And, yes, they got a great training environment. And, yes, they're our favorite because they're freaking cool. But they don't have a mastermind. And, they like, who's the coach over there? Who's the head coach running the game plan? Yeah, especially when you're used to having that. Like, it's different if you're used to kind of being on your own or you're at a gym where there really isn't that, right? Um, I'm not sure what Atos is like. I'm not sure if Andre Galval like game plans for these guys. I mean, obviously we know like AOJ and then what Donnie was doing, like those guys are getting like full game plans. Mm-hmm. And for years, I mean, these guys have been getting those game plans and now all of a sudden they're just, they're on their own. And I think, uh, I think there's going to be an adjustment period. And I think they're going to realize like, man, you know, um, at least the coaching side of things, it was really, really nice to have somebody just dedicated to watching these matches for us, helping us, you know, get ready for a match. But I I really think something has to change in the sense of, you know, there should be a three strike rule. There really should be. If you are in three unwatchable matches, because both of those matches were unwatchable, there was nothing in them, then you are out. Like you just don't get invited to pro shows. And then you need to at least be like a probation period. Like, oh, you're suspended for two years from just boring matches. Guys like you, have to, you should have to go through some kind of rehabilitation program. It's like <laughs> kind of boring rehabilitation program. You got to go to Iowa with Cade matches. <laughs> yeah, you have to you have to do DMT and watch Cade Rotolo matches on a loop for twenty four hours. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there needs to be some type of thing like that, like a three strike rule. And oh, sorry, dude, like you just don't get invited back to his number one. We get it, like you're really tough to take down and submit or but nobody wants to watch you grapple because grappling especially what they're saying adcc 2022 is supposed to be the launching point professional grappling is supposed to change forever but these are this is the type of performances we're getting nothing's gonna change yeah well you know i I think also it goes to show you how how highly did these athletes actually rank who's number one because all the all obviously all their training camp has been is preparation for ADCC rules, and yeah. so they're thinking ADCC. I'll just use this who's number one as a warm up. So that automatically you got to change the name of the promotion. You got to change the name of the promotion. It's it's obviously not who's number one because they're using your tournament as a warm up for the one that they actually care about. That's a point. <laughs> yeah the uh I, i'm looking at wno and i'm saying man like this has to be a wake-up call right this whole card has to be a wake-up call um you can't sit there and like uh watch these matches other than it's you know difficult to stay awake you can't sit here and watch these matches and not imagine like how many stall calls should we have i was watching in the middle of it and i was like somebody grab like an ncaa wrestling ref and just ask him, just on the feet, just let him let let somebody know how many stall calls we've hit. Like twenty something in a fifteen minute match or something. On the third one, you're DQ'd in wrestling. You're out of here. 
So at fourth one. So like, uh, it's a little, uh, it's a little wild. Like, um, it's one of those things where it definitely should have, it definitely should have been, had a lot more action. I don't buy this whole, I had somebody tell me in training, they were like, well, you don't see takedowns because jujitsu guys aren't that good at takedowns. And I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that's true, really. Yeah, it's like, you can't look at Elder Cruz and Nicky Rod and say, well, they're just not good at wrestling. <laughs> uh, it's because getting the takedown is, you know, taking the chance to get the takedown is risky. And if you don't, there's a possibility the other guy might pull and you just get it for free. Like you prioritize different things in your training. If we have like engagement rules, if we have stalling, if there's some sort of other, the get down rule, stalling, I, I don't care, push out rules, whatever. It needs to be something, right? WNO has to look at this and go, we cannot have another one of these. You're, you're totally right. The athletes are going to train to the rule set. The athletes are going to train to the rule set. How, how many gyms have adopted EBI training because it's become yep. the most common form of no gi submission grappling. Like, you know, I'm not saying EBI is the premier uh, submission event. You know, I have my own feelings about that, which I, I think that it should be. But all of the local tournaments are running EBI rules. If there's a purple belt tournament, you know, two hours from you and you're entering, it's EBI rules. Mid-South Classic, it's EBI rules. Finishers, Emerald City, that's blah, EBI rules, EBI rules, EBI rules. And that changes how the athletes train. They have The best athletes have to prepare for the rule set that they're stepping into. And the whose number one rule set is preparing, the, the athletes are preparing to leave it into the hands of the judges. And until that's taken away, it's just, honestly, it's it gives me pause. It's not must, whose number one is not must see TV for me next time. Just depending on who's on the card, right? I mean, if you get the right guys, if it's both Brutolos and you got a couple of Daisy Fresh dudes, um, you know, and some 10th Planet guys, you, at least you know what you're getting. But, yeah, th there's definitely certain athletes that are just on my – I could care less if I ever see them compete again right now. I mean, they need to switch some things up because I don't want to pay. I, I mean, right now, especially with what Flow Grappling's done, is they put all their eggs in the who's number one basket. Really, it's the only events. You know, they're giving us some Emerald Cities every now and again, but they don't care about Flow They don't grappling. care about it. They don't care about Fight to Win, unless they don't care about Flow Grappling. Flow Grappling doesn't care about Fight to Win. Like, all they care about are these who's number ones. And if that's what I'm paying for, then it makes me want to go, ah, you know, I, I just, I'll just cancel my membership. And, uh, yeah. Real talk. After watching the PGF, who's number one wasn't that exciting. Oh, no, no. I thought I seriously yeah, thought, exciting, man, I, man, I wish I was watching uh, Matthew Boyles versus, uh, you know, some other yeah, random blue belt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the uh, bring me the battle Rama. How subscription to the grappling network? Oh, how crazy was it to like? I, I don't know, y'all. I had a visceral reaction when at the end of the Elder Cruz Nikki Rod match, they lifted anybody's hand. <laughs> <laughs> like, do, we, do we really feel like any, either of y'all proved anything? Nothing happened. Just I felt like they should have lifted my hand for sponsoring the event. Well, what's crazy is Bodani during ADCC out wrestled, like he won the wrestling exchanges and took uh, Elder Cruz's back. And it's I just see, I just saw Donna here somewhere just smiling, right? Just like this <laughs> evil smile. He's just laughing at these dudes, you know. Him and Gordon and that whole team are like, what a bunch of losers, you know. We're about to take over. 
or not about to take over. We've already taken over and you guys are nothing without us. And so I'm sure their pride has been hit. And I'm B teams needs to make some waves. I, I mean, we haven't seen Nikki Ryan. We haven't seen Ethan Cronson since then, but from what at least we've seen of Craig Jones, I'm we hadn't seen the real Craig Jones since then, or are we seeing the real Craig Jones? I'm a little worried about Craig. That's what I'll say. What does that mean? It was just like the, ooh, are we seeing the real one? Oh, okay. <laughs> we got we got a new toy over here with a soundboard on it. Can y'all imagine Craig standing for 10 minutes with, I mean, maybe he was prepping for ADCC, maybe not. I, I don't, maybe this was a practice run for him. But can y'all imagine Craig standing for 10 minutes if he's got Gordon or Danaher sitting there watching him get beat up on the feet and they're just going, what are we doing here? Like, that's, yeah. uh, let's just not do jujitsu for 15 minutes. Good job. Like, you never saw that with the death squad. Listen, man, I think, I think, uh, Donaher and Gordon are both just completely insufferable, but they've got the game figured out. You know what I mean? He's the, the best coach and the best player. So it's yeah, Belichick you, and Brady, you know, when they, uh, I can't remember who said it earlier, but they brought up like Ty being pound for pound number one. And I'm like, uh, did Gordon die? Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever you think about him outside off the mat, he is probably the best to ever do it. Oh, he's the man for sure. He's the man. And, um, I mean, this ADCC, he's if he does what he says he's going to do, which oftentimes he does, um, I mean, there will be no doubts, and there will be no arguments. When was the last time Gordon didn't deliver? Well, when he's – I mean, the Felipe Pena, both of those were – I mean, the Rose are really the two only big stains in his career. Obviously, Vinny beat him. Years, but, I mean, years Gordon ago. was like, I'm going to double gold ADCC. Felipe beat him. And then he said nobody could beat him, no time limit, sub only. And he got choked at like 47 minutes. So, those are the only two. All right, tally it up, kid. It was a close game today, boys. Drum roll it. Steven got last. Yeah, dude. He had he so we look, I fell asleep and I still beat Steven. <laughs> <laughs> dude, you sleeping was hilarious, dude. Because people uh, were like, I've been, I've been running on this NFT kick. I ain't been sleeping. I'm on that NFT mania all night. Getting done, man. The, Good. Get us all paid. There there is a clear winner. And then, bro, if I fell asleep and won, two of you, I'm never gonna let you hear the end of it. Yeah, two of you tied no for uh, second and third place. So the winner, oh my god, it's me! And the first time on his on the show, handsome Kevin Cheryl what away with the victory. This is that, guys. Yes, eleven to ten. Scaff and Brandon both had ten points. I tied Brandon Scaff while Dude, Brandon had a big comeback there at the end whenever he started talking DMT. No, I've got to say, Brandon had some phenomenal. He slept and it was like he recharged his brain. I think that's what happened because the beginning of the show, he was you know what? I don't even know how long I fell asleep. It was like fifteen minutes. <laughs> oh, that's good. It was during uh, Stephen did like a big wall, like he like did like a big PGF thing, and then he just. I just I almost fell asleep at the restaurant on long before we came. I was falling out. <laughs> and I appreciate you guys uh, throwing underhand and giving me like wrestling topics for my first time on the show. <laughs> <laughs> the dub. <laughs> 
I guess that's a wrap for another episode of Around the Map. Thank you all for watching. 